Well, hey folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to another episode of The Shrink and the Pundit, where I, Jeff, the pundit, talk to my old pal, Dr. Keith Witt, psychothera integral psychotherapist extraordinaire, The Shrink, and we talk about all things integral, and yay. Hey, Dr. Keith, welcome. Uh, so always so nice to hang out with you, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff. likewise. Yeah, so today we're going to check in on something we've talked about a bit, actually, and, um, and it's your upcoming book, Trauma uh -huh. to Transcendence, uh -huh. and what you're bringing to the party in terms of, um, you know, an integral view of this whole realm of psychotherapy and psychology. Uh -huh. And I, I love, first of all, let me just say, I love you for that. Because you have, as you put it, it here in your introduction, you talk about in 57 years I've been studying psychology. You've been practicing it for close to that. 48 years, yeah. 48, yeah. 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 And, you know, and you've always been really scientific minded and you're always looking at the studies and being a natural integralist, you just, you know, you, you want to cover the whole waterfront. <laughs> and so you have, and you have identified what, the three major schools of psychotherapy that an integral view can see. <laughs> and the first is that nature nurture thing, uh -huh. uh, which has been going on for a long time. And then also maybe newer, I'm thinking trauma, mm -hmm. you know, the big school of trauma therapies. And I'll just start there. And why don't you lay out what you're thinking and what you're bringing together here? So I just published this this blog. You have a copy, a triple threat model of human suffering. Uh, you know, uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, teachers, this guy named John Gottman, and when he gave a lecture once, he said, I always sort of thinking about my treatment failures. And he's the only guy on stage who ever said anything like that. Everybody's always talking about all their, their great successes and stuff. And we all You're talking about psychotherapist conventions here. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So, you know, I'm great at this, I'm great at that. Here's this great. And uh, I've never been ever satisfied with one explanation for anything to do with humans. Just never been satisfying. And uh and there have been waves of explanations about what causes human suffering, because, you know, psychotherapy is about, about resolving human suffering. And the, the subtext of tra trauma into transcendence is living a happy ending at the beginning is something wonderful, which is, as humans, if we use our capacity to, to direct what we do and what we think, um, we can grow. And if we keep growing, eventually we're going to experience ourselves living a happy ending at the beginning of something wonderful. And you don't have to be old to do that. You can feel like you're living a happy ending in the beginning of something wonderful when you're 20 years old or 30 or 40 or 50. Okay? But it's, it's a subjective experience that is a result of if I keep improving things, um, unless there's environmental limitations, eventually I'm going to have that subjective experience. And that's where we're always heading. So if you, whenever we all work on ourselves, whether we're going for enlightenment or whether we're going to be less depressed, less anxious, or you know, more sexually functional or whatever, we're always heading in the direction of, I want to be feeling like I'm living a happy ending at the beginning of something wonderful. But what's in the way of that? Human suffering. Okay. And so 
Where, how, where does that come from? Now, psychology is a young science. I mean, it's only a little over 100 years old. Physics, on the other hand, is thousands of years old. Mathematics, thousands of years old. Medicine, psychology, very young. And in the beginning in psychology, uh, there were the assumptions about what, what, where suffering came from. Okay. And the most bad humors, demonic uh, uh, possession. possession. <laughs> and Freud, Freud said, well, um, I think that it's internalized conflicts. I think kids have conflicts that can't be resolved when they're kids and it's internalized and it comes out as um, neuroses, which the definition of neurosis is internalized conflict. And nobody noticed at the time, but Freud, neurosis is not a descript, is, 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 is assuming a cause. It, it, like psychosis, because psychosis existed before neurosis. Psychosis is descriptive. Someone is separated from reality. That's what psychosis means. Neurosis is an internalized conflict. So for about 80 years, everybody assumed that human suffering came from internalized conflicts. And so psychoanalysts love that, and everybody did psychoanalysis, or and then the, the associated therapies. But you know, people in practice are like most people want to do right and want to be honest. And so they're saying, you know, psychoanalysis not only doesn't help everybody, but some people get a lot worse in psychoanalysis. Really? Yeah. What's that about? Some people go go psychotic in psychoanalysis. And, you know, so this was wrestled with in the field. And finally, in the DSM-3, when it finally came out, they said, we don't think the Freudian model really explains suffering. We think there's something else going on. And so they looked at the research and they said, you know, some people are born with deficits. They just can't do certain things that other people can do. It's like if you see a personality as a toolkit and every trait as a tool you can use, some people, are, some people seem to only have one tool. You know, they can, all they can do is control things, or all they can do is try to dominate other people, or all they can do is be suspicious, or all they can do is be labile. And there are situations where you need to do something else, and they can't do it. And they go, those people have a problem with their personality. They called it a character disorder initially. And that's not something that needs to be reduced like depression. That's a capacity that needs to be installed, like I don't know, math. Uh, and, and so the idea of personality disorders came out, radical concept. Okay? Now, this was happening at the same time that behaviorists were saying everybody is born the same and it's all conditioned, all that kind of stuff. And then in neuroscientists started finding out in the 90s, people's brains were different. And so there's an awful lot of, of data coming in. And, and then people started being a lot more interested in the effects of trauma because PTSD is a very real thing. A series of neg negative events usually, but sometimes one event will cause you to change your nervous system and you have trauma learning where certain triggers will cause you to go into extreme emotional reactions. Your unconscious is going, bam, I have to protect myself. And that's a whole nother thing. And People started with big traumas, but then they saw there's a lot of little traumas that affect people. Just, you know, regular humiliations as a kid can affect, can sensitize you to certain things, affect how you develop. 
And they were also, in the, in the process the last four years, have done zillions of twin studies where tw identical twins are born with the same genes, right? Gone to different families and they, and they follow them. And they, they astoundingly found that, that they grew basically into the same kinds of personalities with the same kind of character traits. In fact, whether you're going to divorce or not is 30% heritable. Okay. Now, what? Uh, so you put all this stuff together, and what you get is a triple threat model of human suffering. So the triple threat model starts with nurture. That's the whole thing about whether I'm securely attached in the first year. Well, then that my attachments, how well I attach will be affected. And there's good research supporting that. And also, are my parents attuned or are they, or are they not attuned? You know, are they kind to me or are they treating me badly? And, and the, the more that they're kind to me and the more that they're attuned to me, the less likely I am to have certain problems. And the more, more, more attuned and kind, the more likely I am to have certain capacities. Um, and so the, the nurture model extends to the culture. If I'm born in a culture that, if I'm born gay and I'm born in a culture that says, that's fine, no problem. Okay, uh, well, I have problems, but I don't have a problem from the culture. The culture says, no, gayness doesn't exist. And if you have it, you're all fucked up. Okay, now I have a nurture problem around my gayness. So culture, okay. Um, there's all kinds of... Culture also provides like diet. American culture actually has a diet that makes people more anxious and depressed. Okay, that's a nurture problem. Uh, it, it, it's uh, we have a we have a, a, a culture that isolates people. Okay, that's a nurture problem on a cultural level. We have probably seven to fourteen thousand chemicals in the environment that weren't here 20 or 30 or forty years ago. That's a nurture problem because that affects us behaviorally to some extent. We all know that glyphosate Roundup, for instance, which is on everything, causes cancer, increases your risk of cancer. Um, does it have behavioral consequences? Almost certainly. And you know, and when we talk about things like mercury, they absolutely do. Okay. So nurture, you know, the environment that we, so that's the source of human suffering. Okay. And so when somebody comes in and they they have a problem, you you go, well, what are all the environments and the nurturing things and, and, and internalized conflicts and so on? And we have ways of dealing with all that stuff. We can chelate out mercury. We can do therapy around internalized conflicts and have insights and, you know, and so on. But then there's trauma. Trauma is different. Trauma is something that is an unusual event, even though most people will have at least two to four major traumas by the time they're 30. Um, so it's not that unusual. But Depending on who we are, we can have learning from traumatic events that cause us to be what's called sensitized. And we talked about that the last time we talked, where a little bit of a, of a stimulus will cause a lot of response, interferes with our life. And if we go into therapy, a therapist goes, oh, there's a trauma. We have ways of working with trauma, of having you reconsolidate those trauma memories so that you become more resilient and those, those cues now don't cause you to uh, have negative events. In fact, now those cues cause you to mobilize resources you didn't have before. And now we've turned trauma into transcendence. Okay, that's trauma. And there's big, big T traumas and there's little T traumas. But then there's nature. Uh, so recently, you know, we, we had that talk on narcissism, remember? Uh, 
So I wanted, I went, well, I want to know what the current stuff in narcissism. So I went to one of these places where you buy classes, right? And I bought a 21 hour class on narcissism and gaslighting. First of all, I didn't know it was 21 hours until after I bought one. God, 21 hours, 16. Okay. <laughs> That's a lot of hours. That's a lot of hours. But, you know, I, I, I play it when I'm driving to the pool and back, you know, before you know it. So anyway, of those, there were six teachers, three of Three of them were the worst teachers I've ever had in my entire life. They were nightmare teachers. And I, I was going, it was a real exercise in humility, Jeff. I went, okay, Keith, be humble. Just because they're horrible teachers doesn't mean that they can't teach you something. And I learned something good from the first one. I thought, okay, I learned something good from her. The second one can't be any better. The second one was horrible, even more worse. I'm going to, you know, we found this great finding. And then, but she didn't tell me what it was until an hour and a half later after blah, 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 blah you know, read the reading their thing. Anyway, and then I thought, well, God, yeah, the third one was just, but then we got, I got to the, to the fourth teacher and it was this genius personality disorder guy, one of the top guys in the world. I don't know how he made it into that group named Gregory Lester. And I went, wow. And he was my kind of guy. He had the science, he had the treatment, he had it all dialed in and he said, something that we, you and I have been talking about for a while. We are born different types of people. Personality traits, 40 to 60% heritable. Well, that's interesting. Capacity for OCD, shyness, extroversion, even honestly, humility is, is heritable. All that stuff is heritable. Wow, wow, wow. But even more mind-blowing is the capacity to have a... Uh, the tendency to have a personality disorder where there is a part of you that, that, that gets activated regularly and causes all kinds of problems. Um, that's 70 to 80% heritable. Okay. Now, if you're a psychotherapist listening to this, all those people that have been through graduate school, and I've been through multiple graduate schools and have taught graduate schools, that statistic is gonna blow your mind, okay? That there's, there's about 10 different kinds of personality disorders that are, that are, that are been researched. And the most famous ones, narcissism, borderline personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder. The most common one though, really is, the most common statistically is obsessive compulsive personality disorders. Now, all of these are, are situations where people do not have a capacity to be different in different situations. Obsessive compulsive, and, and all of them are adaptive in certain situations. For instance, paranoid personality disorder. Very rare, but it happens. I'm suspicious of everybody. If I, go to, if I take a visit to North Korea, that's very adaptive, <laughs> okay? It, no, I should be paranoid every second I'm in North, North Korea, Right. okay? So, fine. I'm getting along fine. Obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is different from OCD, you know, like rituals and, and that. Obsessive compulsive personality disorders, I have to control everything. And if I can't control it, I go into a rage about it. All right, well, if I'm a brain surgeon, that really works for me, okay? If I'm an auto mechanic, that works for me. If I'm a military guy having to get everybody to do it right, uh, to, that works for me. But if I go home, it's not going to work for me parenting my seven-year-old who says no. Okay, I'm going to go into a rage because I can't control him. Uh, uh, 
and a social personality disorder. You have to manipulate and you, and you can never follow through on an agreement. All the, now, that's a great place to be if you are in Russia right now, having to deal with the, the in the hierarchy around Putin. That's very adaptive. But in regular life, these things aren't adaptive. And so when it, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, when it's time to be flexible, you can't do it. Um, it's fine to be a narcissistic person if you're on stage dancing and singing or lecturing or something. But then when you get off stage, you want to relate to other people as equals. Narcissistic personality disorder cannot relate to other people as equals. Right. Um, and so that, that, those lack of capacities are crippling and they cause a lot of problems, a lot of drama. And that's, that's nature. We are born with those tendencies. Now, the miracle of human consciousness is as we become more self-aware and we get become formal operational, we can begin to observe ourselves and go, wow, I have a problem um, uh, and I should address it. And that's happened to me a couple of times. Uh, I remember when I, was, when I was trying to get out of the, the draft. Um, when I was trying to get out of the draft, I went and got psychological testing. I wanted to show that I was crazy. And I, I, had, a, I had a good history of being crazy. I've been hospitalized and everything. You had a plausible story. I had a plausible story. And, but when she did her evaluation, she said, you have a certain narcissistic wound where you feel like, you know, you can't see yourself connected and equal with other people. And I went, yeah, that's kind of bullshit. But then a year later, when I had some, some difficult times, I thought, you know, I think that's true. And I went into therapy and worked on it. And sure enough, um, as that changed, I found that it opened me up, even opened up my heart to other people. I began to feel us all as, as these powerful souls, equal, equal, equal in the world. And I had this other capacity that kind of blossomed. But I had to recognize the fact that I had that, that little blank spot that was given to me by that person who did that evaluation. So what we have is the, this triple threat model. We have, we're, and 15 to, 9, 15 to 19% of the general population has a personality disorder of some sort, which means that pretty much all human suffering is going to come from these individuals because it's a lot of problems because it, when it's time for them to be different in these areas, they can't do it. For instance, the borderline personality disorder has these, these shifts from I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, and they cannot have proportionate emotional responses. And if you tell that person, you know, your problem isn't that people are difficult. Your problem is that you can't have proportionate emotional responses. They'll get really pissed off at you. And they're like, I thought you were a great therapist, but actually you're the worst therapist in the world. Okay. Now, as a therapist, people come in with, with a problem, say with a trauma. So I'm writing this book on trauma, right? And the thing when you're writing a book is there's always pressure to overpromise stuff. And like, oh yeah, work on your trauma and then you'll, you'll be living a happy ending at the beginning of something wonderful. Maybe, but maybe not. What if you work on your trauma and you find out that, well, I got to control things all the time. Well, now you got to work on that. What if you work on your trauma and, and, and if you're done with that, but you find out, you know what? You know, I really had a preoccupied uh, parent and I'm not really, can't really feel securely connected with other people. Now you got to work on that. Some people can get to living a happy ending as being into something wonderful quite easily. Some people it takes years and years. And, and we haven't even gotten into a whole nother area, which I didn't put into this because I knew we were going to talk about it. Spiritual yearning. 
as we we talked about earlier, the 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 yearning to feel a sense of spiritual connectedness is present in all human beings. It's a it's a hardwired characteristic, and it doubles in intensity between seventeen and twenty three. That's a critical period, and if we can't provide a legitimate, if the culture, the nurture can't provide a legitimate um, um, channel for that. People will suffer, and that suffering will go into other things. Yeah. And there's a great, a great new book by uh, Jonathan Haidt, "The Coddling of the American Mind," you know, where they're they're noticing how the adolescents that they're dealing with are getting more and more fragile and, sens and sensitized and so on, because they've been shifting from the, the the model of we want to be able to understand everything to we do not want people we disagree with to be lecturing on our campus. And I and if you say something that upsets me, you have a problem. Okay, and you and I have talked about that before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and that's that's a that's a nurture problem because what that does is it makes everybody weaker rather than stronger. Okay, so there you go. You got the triple threat model of human suffering. And if you're a change agent like I am, um, recognize that at any given time you're going to have a bias towards one or two or three of these. And and most people that I've seen in the field, particularly people associated with a with a, with a, a method, say. Uh, the the people that are associated with alternative medicine, they address anxiety and depression purely physiologically and biochemically. Now you need a little bit of these amino, amino acids. You need to improve your sleep. You need to do this and this. Very very little about trauma or psychotherapy. Um, people who are in the trauma really don't like the idea of personality disorders. Really offends. It's offensive to them. You know, you try to talk to them about, you know, I don't, I don't know if I believe in personality disorders. Well, excuse me. It's, it's very hard for me when there's like thousands of studies. It's, a, it's like somebody had to believe that vaccines help. Some vaccines might be a problem, but, you know, vaccines in general, pretty much the jury's out about whether they, you know what I mean? And so in integral, we recognize you always have to privilege the, the system, the framework that you're currently working with, right? But but knowing that there's other frameworks that are relevant and that and that will will become more evident as you progress in, through the complexity of whatever you're doing, that radical openness to those new elements and then giving giving them the attention that 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 they warrant. That keeps us at a teal consciousness dealing with the world. And with psychotherapy, it keeps us at a teal consciousness dealing with people. Um, yeah. And so, so understanding that and internalizing that changes you as you begin to, as you continue to learn how to navigate the world and how to deal with, with help people. And so that's it. That's the triple threat model of human suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um... You've just, you know, sort of expanded my mind into, you know, always thinking about, so how does this relate to me and, you know, the people and what's the, you know, what's the lived experience of this? And of course, the, the job number one is relieving human suffering, right? Yes. You know, so, and, and, and so there, so I, I appreciate that you're, coming you're you're looking at this one piece of human solution to that which is psychology which is as you say 100 years old 
<laughs> and that there's this, these three streams of psychological thought right now, all of which have their place and an integral psychotherapist would be using all three. Right. Uh, I would, I, what I would also say is that, that I'd want to book two from you, Keith, uh, which is, right. you know, how about the, how about the, the relieving suffering from previous to a hundred years ago? And so that we would have some acknowledgement or some, I don't know, acknowledgement, but you know, that there is something to, well, as you said, the spiritual piece of it, you mm -hmm. know, that um, the alleviating of suffering, we have religions that mm -hmm. are about that. Uh, Buddhism is all about that. So it's Christianity, really. It's like, you know, turning your troubles over to God. Um, and also the idea of spiritual and subtle energies, yes. um, which I know you know a lot about. I mean, you know, when I think of what has been in a way most helpful to me in terms of my uh, cross to bear psychologically, which has been anxiety. That's, I've always been sort of an anxious person, is just sort of this, it's almost like a Tai Chi that I've found on my own. It's a movement of this ball of anxiety from my chest down to my belly. Mm. And I think there's some vagal, you know, vagal nerve kind of thing. You know, sometimes when I see those videos about humming, singing, you know, those, those kinds of things will really work. Boy, you're a great singer, too. To anybody who doesn't know, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff is just an incredible singer. Oh, oh my God. Incredible. Anyway, I interrupted. I Perhaps apologize. I should sing this, this song right now. Oh, I'd love that. Just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, I, I would want to, you know, I'd want to bookmark that as yeah. you know, the whole other realm of how human beings have dealt with their suffering. Uh, and then also, and then look at this psychological world which is you know it's kind of what we turn to when we lost our religion it's like okay we're going to do a different kind of self-analysis um we're going to develop the witness consciousness it's a sort of a secular way of doing it and how wonderful is that you know it's you know first of all i really i'm i really agree i agree about subtle energies who knows about past lives it's a possibility yes. Yes, it's interesting. Let's take demons, for God's sakes, and angels. I mean, I don't know. I don't really want to know too much about that, but I don't rule it out. Well, I, I know I've done ceremony around all that stuff. I know you have. Um, for a variety of reasons, um, and it's been very effective. Um, and, and also, look at Buddhism and, and Christianity just as a couple. Both of them have a, a sense, Buddhism, life is suffering, though actually the the literal translation is like life is like a squeaky oxen wheel. It's more like life is irritating, but you know, okay. Yeah. Life is suffering. Uh, Trump would say that life is unsatisfactory. Unsatisfactory. I, I always thought that was a good one. And Christianity, original sin. Yeah. Now, that, was the, that was the wisdom tradition saying we are born with some capacities in us for suffering. And both of them said there is a solution to that. Okay. Ultimately, the solution was to self-identify with something larger than my personality. Yeah. Okay. With, with Buddhism, it was progressive witnesses until I am everything. But Christianity is I am the soul connected to uh, God. Okay. Yeah. And, and so. Well said. Interestingly, um, that's really how it works. 
you know, the personality is all the, the traits that we have for dealing with the world. And it's an imperfect set of traits for all of us. So if we decide we want to grow, basically what we're doing is we're taking the traits that work well and we're honoring them. And we're taking the traits that we don't have and try to install them. Yeah. Or the traits that aren't working very well. We're trying to get them all to work with, with the environment. Yeah. Well, we, we can see the hand we're dealt. You know, so when I, I look at what you were just uh, you know, laying out in terms of the psychological world, um, I could relate to all of them. You know, did, did I have uh, trauma? I was just talking to Namali, and she's in this trauma course. I'm forgetting who's running it, but it's um, where they talk about that the first trauma, I think you, you talked about this too, actually, Keith, is that the very first trauma that an infant experiences is when its mother first looks away. Yeah. Instead of you know, holding the gaze. And that's that's the first trauma. And and so we, you know, when we look at it that way, big traumas, little traumas, it's like life is traumatic in the sense yeah. that, and, and this is Buddhism too, just being or born into the fallen world, Christianity, or having this self-contraction is inherently painful. Uh -huh. You know, being born into time and space is inherently traumatic to the part of us that is, you know, identified with the all. And wrestling successfully with pain to a sense of resolution makes us resilient. Yes. This is the whole anti-fragile thing that, that has been popularized. And there, weirdly, and we've talked about this, there is a movement in college campuses to not encounter difficulties and wrestle with them to a sense of resolution, but instead to pathologize the difficulties and say, keep those difficulties away from me. Yeah. And employers of young people are saying, God, these people are so fragile. You can't criticize them without them falling to pieces or getting defensive. Yeah. Why? They've been taught throughout their life. They've been protected by helicopter parents and so on. And then in, they go to well-meaning places to try to protect them from ideas or, 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 or people that have offensive positions. And so they don't get to wrestle with that and then find their own resolution on the other side. They don't get to get stronger as a result of that. Instead, they get weaker. They yeah. go, well, the solution is just, not just to keep everything away from children, which has always driven me crazy. Now is I wanna keep, keep opposing ideas away from me. This is why I've always admired that you, you watch Fox News and stuff. I, <laughs> I don't know, Jeff. You're, you're, I you're, watch it so you don't have to, Keith. I thank you, Jeff. You're a stronger <laughs> man than me. I just can't well, do it. Yeah. I, I will read, I will is, read an article, but God. Yeah, no, fair yeah. enough. I mean, and I have my limits too, believe me. I believe but, you. Um, part of it is um, sort of the depathologizing in a sense of all of it. It's like, I realize, so, so I'm born into this human birth. I'm gonna, trauma is gonna be a part of it. That's I'm right. supposed to be offended. Now we don't want anybody to be terribly hurt. We wanna protect people from the big T traumas, but the small T traumas, actually we wanna to turn towards them. Yes. And that's yes. what you're talking about anyway. Of course, that's a therapeutic way through, right? And also that's the way through basically if you study mastery, the talent code was the probably the best book I read on this, but lots of people, Jen, George Leonard wrote a book on mastery. What is mastery really? Basically is you take your level of expertise in an area that you want to expand in, whatever it is. You know, I learned it in martial arts first, of course, but you know, there's lots of them. 
You take it to the area where it's uncomfortable, where you're making mistakes, and where there's somebody who wants to influence you to grow, and you receive that influence and grow. You don't resist it. You receive it and grow. And you keep on finding that edge. And it's not too much. And it's not too little. It's just that. I mean, one thing I've always loved about psychotherapy, and I've told myself this so many times, there's no such thing as an easy session, and there's no such thing as an impossible session. They're all just sessions. Now, sometimes, and it's always a surprise, you know, I, think about if you're a therapist, you're, okay, you're starting a session with somebody new. You have absolutely no idea what they're going to want to talk about. I mean, I know. What, 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 a, what a trip. Yeah, another human being. Yeah, another human being. And even people you've worked with a long time. I remember one guy, I don't know, you had a bunch of sessions, not, not that many, maybe eight or nine, you know, and, and he smoked. And he said, I, I, and he said, well, do you want to talk about my smoking or you want to talk about the secret affair I've been having for the last eight years? <laughs> All right. He was just me, gonna, it was up to you, Keith. <laughs> time for me to completely re Yeah, right. I, yeah, I don't know. Smoking is important, but why don't, we, <laughs> why don't we have a conversation about the affair? Um, so you're, you're absolutely right. Why? It's a, it's a developmental model. Integral is very much a developmental model. Interestingly, one of the conceptualizations around personality disorders is that they're developmental arrests. They're emotionally immature. Yeah. And I think that's true. I think we're born more able to learn certain things, less able, all of us, and that 15 to 19% are extraordinarily unable to learn certain things. Yeah. Now, again, the miracle of, of, of us is that we can develop, anybody can learn how to play the violin. So you might not be the best violin player in the world, but you can develop empathy if you want. Yeah. You well, can that's, develop. That's, you know, that, that's, so that's the other, uh, you know, this idea of let, let's depathologize, uh, let's in a way normalize it. So if we have a hardcore 18% of the population who has a personality disorder, how do, we, how do we, first of all, work with that, with them? I think secondly, how do we see the personality disorders in ourselves? They may not be, you know, pathological, but, you know, I could, you talked about how you, you got uh, hit to a certain narcissism. Yeah, you know, yeah, I had a narcissistic wound that I, I had to address. I mean, I had all kinds of disorders that I can look at my parents and I can look at my family and I can see that, sure, they could be heritable. I mean, we all sort of had the same sort of nervous system for one yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. But also the nurture. I mean, it's all there. And so I had these really serious blind spots. I, and, and I guess the, the lesson is I still do. You know, they're a higher level. I'm seeing them in a finer way, whatever. Um, so th that'd be something interesting. And then the third is how do we, um, how do, how do we as, a, as a society accommodate people um, who uh, we would label with a personality disorder. Um, and as you said, oftentimes these things come in very handy. Um, yes. Right situation. Uh, so, you know, it's like, how do we help them? How do we sort of notice it in ourselves so we can see that just that this, this is part of being human? And then, you know, how do we accommodate the oddballs, you know, and, and contain the dangerous people, you know? Exactly. And then, of course, the prison populations 
Normal population has one to 2% antisocial personality disorder. Prison population is 30 to 40%. Yeah. Now, something that you said earlier, you know, in the in a life of, of, of work that you've done, you're at a point now where if you find a blind spot, you're interested in it. Yes. I just want to point out that what a developmental milestone that is. Yeah. You know, if somebody shows me a blind spot that I haven't seen before, I'm kind of quite, quite excited about that. Okay, yeah. that was not the case when I was a younger person. <laughs> that was not the case for the first 50 years of my life. Yeah. There you go. Right. <laughs> First I, well, I think, it, but it's certainly for the first several decades, that was not what I was particularly interested in. Yeah, and now? I was interested in laying my trip on the world. Right. I, the know. world should, should reflect. So that, that sense... Like that, the, the data that I got from Gregory Lester really caused me the, the statistical part. And I checked the studies. Yeah, there's lots and lots of research about this. It caused me to reorganize some stuff, just like the twin studies around temperament. Um, so there's an end state when you're living a happy ending at the beginning of something wonderful of radical interest and radical acceptance, including your, your strengths and weaknesses. Okay. Now, that's not, that's not, Remember, we talked once about there's six moral foundations. Okay, all of those moral foundations that are, are, are always operating. And, and if we're working, developing, we're growing morally on the, in those six foundations as well as everything else. So and you don't just go, well, I have a blind spot in me, like maybe um, I'm not flexible. That You go, well, how does this affect me and other people, be the people I love and and... And I want to change that. And so it kind of expands into an area of, of care for self and then care for others. That's, that's that subjective sense of being at the beginning of something wonderful. It's, it really feels great to feel like you're improving how well you yes. care for yourself and love other yes. people. Yes. Um, the, well, the, I, I have to say, I, you know, I love your four-step process. Because right. it's really what we're talking about here. One is right. to just feel the deficit, feel the trauma, feel whatever it is that is, is I always love Trump's formulation of this, the unwanted material. The unwanted material, right. Yeah. Perfect. And then fit it into your life story. <laughs> I mean, this wasn't not supposed to happen. You're here for, you know, to learn and grow and to actually suffer some. There's, it's not optional, really. That's right. So to sort of normalize it, depathologize it, and, and turn it into the story. And then this gets into, I think psychology absolutely has used this for sure. But telling your story and seeing yourself as a hero of a heroic life, that's as old as the hills. That's right. You know, that's that's good old, you know. That's the Iliad in the Odyssey. Yes, that's the Iliad in the Odyssey. Yes, exactly. And then choose you know, from this perspective of being able to see it, and I've got my story. Now I realize I'm a little bit in charge of my own story. I have powers that I didn't know I had. I'm not just a victim of this. And, and then, you know, we bring that on. We, as you say, we learn to choose healthier states of consciousness. And then your fourth one is compassionately self-observe to know when something new or old needs to be addressed. Yeah, exactly. So keep doing it. Yeah, cultivate the witness. And the witness yeah. gets more and more interested and less and less alarmed. Um, yeah. well and, the more, and you know, the more interested you are, you know, the way that things work in, in, in 
in the universe, it's the principle of return in, in, in Taoism. But in us, if you turn on interest, you reduce anxiety. The more interested you are, the less anxious you are. The more interested you are in your suffering, the less, your, less pain you're feeling. You know, what did, what did the Dalai Lama said? There's different kinds of suffering. There's the suffering of change. Um, there's, the, there's the suffering of learning and there's the suffering of suffering. So the suffering of suffering goes down when you become interested. Yeah. Now, what do you do about it? Weirdly, in this horribly crazy current thing where everything seems to be getting it's as chaotic as it can be, and then it gets more chaotic. <laughs> Just when you saw, thought you saw the depth of the depravity of Trump, for instance. <laughs> I mean... And, and, just, and then it gets worse. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, so you get your retirement fund all in place. And then somebody, you know, all of a sudden kind of knocks on the door and says, oh, by the way, this year you lose 10% of it to inflation. Yeah. You know? oh, oh, okay. You can do that. You can just take away 10% of my net worth like that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we can do that. You know, maybe yeah. we'll take another 10%. We don't know. You know, that's a chaotic place. Not to mention the war, not to mention Russian propaganda, not to mention blah, 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 blah. I mean, yes. all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, crazy world. Know, one of the weird things about green, the ascendance of green, is that green's got it right by really wanting to focus on helping their kids develop, but they've got it completely wrong on trying to block their kids from having any kind of unpleasant experiences. Okay. And that's producing the least happy kids that we've ever measured, which is just so ironic and crazy and sad yeah. that overprotective parents just trying, I want to protect him from sex and I want to protect him from violence and I want to protect him from dead bodies and I want to protect him from, you know, worried about stuff and, you know, bad grades. And, and then, well, why is he so anxious? Why didn't he try to kill himself? I mean, well, there's, there's the, going back to our nurture of the, of the triple threat, that's a nurture problem, okay? So what you want is you want to you want to gate not just um, um, uh, threats but information and challenges, and and the parents that I work with, we want to find the challenges that that kid seems to respond to, and provide them, and then and to the point that the kid gets disappointed or hurt or whatever, and then okay process that a little bit okay fine, um, and. With information, God, I believe in telling kids pretty much everything, you know, in language that works with their developmental. And that, you know, we've talked about it with sex education, but it's just with all education, violence education, political education, um, you know, cultural education, philosophical education, um, all that stuff. It's you, you, starting at three or four, kids like it when you talk to them as a psychological equal, talking about dealing with people as equals. And, you know, telling them what you believe is the truth. And if you have also being quite interested yourself in what's really true, this is an integral. If it doesn't, if, it, if you don't have data from all four quadrants, you need to kind of step a little bit back. Like, you know, I get, there's certain people that I find super credible because I know they, I, for instance, I know that you run through all four quadrants with positions that you take. So when you tell me something, I, I believe it. Okay. Um, these days, I'm having to do an awful lot of evaluation of data that I didn't have to do before, maybe because I was naive before. 
But now I have to go, okay, what value meme are you coming from? What agenda do you might, might you have? How does this fit into the current extractive capitalist system that's, that's, that's destroying the middle class, not destroying, that's crunching the middle class, that's causing the kind of unrest that has preceded revolutions in other cultures? You know, how does it all fit within this larger context? The polarization that causes me to, I mean, I, this is a blind spot in me that I'm observing with interest. I'm actually observing a lot of the Republicans as evil. And you know, 98% of them are not evil. Right. 2%, sure. But that other 90%, they, they have a belief system, it doesn't have to be supported by data, it's supported by their faith. And it's supported by their, their culture and they're supported by their silo and they believe that they're doing right, okay? And so I have been influenced by this partisan thing where my immediate reaction is they're, they're evil. And then I have to correct, going, Keith, you know, so this is the observing and now I'm doing the work, right? Face yeah. the problem. Don't make people evil, you know, look more deeply. Compassion and understanding doesn't, even Putin, you know, it's not about evil, though evil exists. Putin does evil things. Right. But well, if you look at history, you know, Putin is sort of a, just a garden variety pre-modern leader. That's right. You there know, you go. I mean, you create reality. There's, it's, there's not a lot of data in, in the system, period, I mean, in pre-modern world. And so the leader's job is to get everybody to, to not persuade. It's to uh, rule. That's right. And to expand and take territory, this is the you know the ninety nine percent of human history. So you can even look at it developmentally. And I, I like it. I like it that you see the garden variety. I, I I agree. Of course. I mean, there are many worse. Yeah, yeah. But, but you got to remember that that uh, Attila the Hun didn't have nuclear weapons. No, totally. No, totally. No, this is one of the sour. I, I always think of the sour spots in human history. Mm -hmm. And this is where you have modern weaponry created by science in the hands of a pre-modern, you know, society ruler person. Very scary. Uh, that's a very, very tough uh, spot. And we have, uh, you know, navigated it uh, maybe through dumb luck. And I don't know when that runs out, but uh, it's, it's a big worry of mine. Yeah, me too. Though I think the, if we, like Ken says, you step back far enough. Uh, the the helicopter parents, the good news about them is that development matters. And so now there's some parents are coming to people like me or people like um, the guy who wrote Raising Lions and they're going, okay, so how do we raise resilient children? Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that's just a natural reaction to what Green has done. I mean, what Green did was for the first time in history, actually, it got interested in the interiority of their kids. Yeah, which is wonderful. That's I mean, hello, you know, and it wasn't about making them obedient or conform or whatever. It was about who are you and are you hurting? And, you know, so yes, these kids are overly, you know, they think that's the currency of life. And I think at some point, you know, they'll get hip to it. I think a lot of them are actually. Well, I think we have an extended adolescence going into 20. That's, an, that's another thing. And, you know, welcome again to human evolution. The yeah. childhood used to be about, you know, eight years and then there's adolescence. And now there's this extended early adulthood to mid, late 20s. 
where we see that they're, you know, they're not quite cooked yet. Well, I, one of my favorite forms of work is there'll be a 20-something or a 30-something person who studied Ken, and, or they've been meditating, and they just get frustrated. And then somehow they track me down. Maybe they listen to a shrinking pundit or, you know, or, or they see me do a podcast for somebody else. And they give me a call and they go, you know, I want you to help me go to that next level. And I go, sure, that's, that, that's a lot of fun. Let's do it. And, and they come in really wise and, and, and well-educated with lots of practice, sometimes years. But of course, what they've naturally done is they've done all that stuff to avoid whatever their blind spots are. And so pretty often within a few minutes, it's like, there's a blind spot. And it was, well, wait just a second, you know, before you tell me about, you know, the, the, the retreat that you did in India for four months, why don't we talk about this thing about how you, you were cheating on, you're cheating on your wife and you're not telling her about it. You know, that seems like a blind spot to me. And what do you think? Well, I mean, here we are, okay. And, and to, one of the reasons that I love working with these people is they receive influence. So, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm going to consider thinking different and acting different in that area, and they'll start doing that. Yeah. And now they, things don't just get better when they do that. What they've done is they've opened up a blind spot, and you know, there's a lot of good juice, a lot of good information, a lot of good stuff in every part of us. Yes. And, and so that part that wanted the cheat wanted was also yearning for you know, uh, spiritual and sexual uh, fulfillment was also learning for levels of intimacy that they intuitively felt were possible, but weren't finding with their current partner. Yes. Okay. So that's now a challenge with your current partner, isn't it? Yes. All right. So let's, let's dive into that. And now we're in the lower left quadrant. And, and, we, and what do we do? We bring the lower left quadrant into the session. Uh, or, you know, you go find a couple therapists if you don't want to do it with me. And, and so it expands. Yeah. Now, what we can do with children is normalize that process of a lifetime of self-discovery and work, yes. normalizing the fact that if we keep doing it, we're regularly going to experience ourselves as, as living a happy ending at the beginning of something wonderful. That is a predictable outcome of doing this work. Now, yes. it's going to involve having a sense of spiritual connectedness. Everybody needs it in some form. It doesn't well, matter. I like that. The, yeah, well, yeah. And, and. And that gets into, you know, what is the story of my life? What is the yeah. meaning of my life? What am I doing here? But I, I love that um, happy ending and then the new beginning. Yeah. And that's sort of an ongoing process. I mean, there's endings and beginnings that are pretty regular. Uh, so the final ending and the final beginning, yeah. which we have no idea. But, you know, it's all right. I'm, I'm yeah. living a happy ending and I'm the beginning of something wonderful. No, I don't want that one. Well, I want to postpone it as, as long as possible because I really like being alive and having shrinking pundit talks with you. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, cool. So um, there was something else you said that I really liked here. Hang on. Oh, um, I, yeah, it's, it's this category. It's like you're talking about, okay, so people can then see their blind spots and then yeah. that's a whole new world that they're unable to inhabit. And it used to be painful and now it's exciting. Um, how about, is it, is it so then that the people who can't see the blind spot, uh, at least under, you know, are so far so, they, so far they can't. 
is that the personality disorder? Yes. And what do you do with those people? Because, you know, in all your therapy sessions, I'm sure you have had more than a few. Well, first of all, let's talk about a, a, a cultural problem. If you look into the homeless population and they say, well, they have mental health issues, which is true, but they have a lot of personality disorders. And the most common one is antisocial personality disorder, which means you can, you can give them a house and you can give them a lot of money and they're still gonna cause trouble. They need a milieu that doesn't allow them to do crazy stuff, but also subtly encourages them to act in an appropriate way, but recognizes that they're not able to follow through on agreements. Um, uh, follow now, by is, no that, is that something that preceded their addiction? Yes. Though okay. so addiction, you really can't find out if somebody has a personality disorder when they're practicing an addiction. There you go. That, you just yeah, can't, you can't know. I mean, somebody could be this the biggest antisocial son of a bitch forever when they're practicing their alcoholism and they get sober. And, wow, kind of really a nice, yeah. you really can't tell until the addiction's not happening what's what's happening in the, in the personality disorder. Um, and of course, a lot of these people are traumatized in ways that are just hard for civilians to imagine. Well, because in certain situations, they can't solve problems. They just create drama. And people that create drama invite abuse. And so you're way more likely to be abused. You know, if, if, if all you can do is manipulate other people, at some point, someone's going to get pissed off and go after you. If all you can do is just have these wild emotional reactions to relatively small events, someone's going to just try to slap some sense into you at some particular point, or you're going to trust somebody way too much if you're going into either the greatest or the worst, and then that person, that you're more likely to be abused in those situations. So... The, the people that I work with are very successful people. Occasionally they have one of these things, but they've developed a level of success that kind of takes care of a lot of the, the container that you need. And they have other skills and other areas that they can bring to bear. The reason why I started with that homeless population that has antisocial, narcissistic, schizotypal, um, uh, personality disorder, schizophrenia, those people in our, in our society need not just a place to live, to sleep. They need an environment that kind of takes care of them. They're not very employable, most of them. And that subtly helps them live a healthier life so that if they decide that they want to use their self-aware consciousness to grow, there's room to do it. And if they decide to continue to create drama, they're in an environment that minimizes the damage that drama does to themselves and other people. Um, that requires lots and lots of resources that are, have not been tasked to that. So that's a problem. That's a cultural problem that we either take responsibility for or not. Now, if we're dealing with people that are more functional, like, you know, you and me, or, and most of the people that I work, you know, I'm in yeah, private practice. The people that, can, people that can afford my fee are generally quite functional, or they wouldn't be able to afford my fee. Um, then it's it's a matter of okay let's enjoy you okay so okay so somebody say they're obsessive compulsive personality disorder or they're narcissistic so 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 basically what it, what was happening is that, is that you really feel like you're entitled to a lot more than anybody else and you think that nobody else is equal to you right and they go yeah yeah i says oh well so i imagine that causes you some problems occasionally yeah people don't realize how great i am so 
if, if I can maintain an interest, a shared interest, gradually it can be a little bit of light being brought into that room. And that's relatively rare. That's, that's, that's not rare with narcissistic traits. People can learn to enjoy their narcissistic traits and then grow them. The actual disorder itself, when someone realizes that, that I'm suggesting that they have a huge deficit in their ability to deal with the world, often they'll just execute me. You know, like, bam, you're gone. Okay? I mean, they don't actually, but you know. Right. They're, no, but they're, they're done. They're, they're done. And so with all these things, it's, it's, it's all right. You, there's, there's a capacity, for instance, the capacity to, to have emotional proportionality. If you have borderline personality disorder, you can't do that. Okay, so you don't have an ability to have emotional proportionality, and so I can teach you how to do that, but it's going to be difficult because you believe that this person deserves your hatred because they forgot your birthday. Okay, well, now that's irritation, but hatred, I don't think so. That's not a proportional response. So you can regulate that rage. There's lots of ways of doing it, like choosing states. We talked about it. But you first have to recognize that the rage is disproportionate and that you have a tendency to have disproportionate reactions and that that's your real problem. It's not that people forget your birthday. That's not your real problem. Your real problem is... So do people get that? You know, the answer is yes and no. Um, I'm like uh, John Gottman. Um, if I looked at all of my successes, I, you know, I could make a long list. I mean, I don't know, 70,000 therapy sessions. I, lots of, I am, always have more people who want to work with me than I have time. Yeah, a lot of people get it. But you know what I focus on, and, and maybe this is what saved me from narcissism, is I look more at the, at the people that didn't get it. And I go, what did I not do? Is there anything that I could have done differently? Um, you know, if I had a moment, even when I was a teenager, if I had a moment where I felt like somehow I was privileged over another person, I would be ashamed about that. Well, that shame was great because it said, well, then you need to find some way of understanding how people have difference, that you're not a worse person because that person is better than you at this and that other person isn't worse because you're better, that there's some essential spiritual equality that you share, some humanity. And then there's these strengths and weaknesses that are variable as I began to have those kinds of, of, of insights with the help of therapists, it began to give me more of an integral understanding. So by the time I hit integral, I kind of knew the territory, but I didn't have a map. Um, and that's for those of us that, yeah. that came to integral at that point, integral felt like going to Oz. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, there's a map that explained everything. Oh, that's why the blah blah. Yeah. So yes, people can people get it to some degree, but you get it in degrees. Like say there's 10 degrees of getting it. So people will get it to the first degree first. And sometimes they'll get it to the first or second and then they'll leave therapy. I get this with, with couples sometimes. They'll get relief from their symptoms and then they'll go, we're gonna go. And they'll go, you know, if you want to be more stable, being happy with each other, you need to go another couple of levels, probably. At least that's my experience. Sometimes people go, okay. More often than not, they go, no. And then they'll be back two or three years later with the same pattern. And then we'll do it all over again. Because, yeah. okay. I mean, yeah. one thing about therapists is you have to have infinite patience. Yeah. It's, which is fine. You can do that in therapy because of the parameters in the container of the container. Can't really do it in personal relationships. Nobody yeah. has infinite pa patience. There's no unconditional love in that sense. 
And, and so that's a whole nother yeah. set of confrontations, a whole nother set of conversations. Well, I'm sitting here thinking, well, then the upshot of all of this is that human suffering continues. And will always continue. And is necessary <laughs> for development. Yeah. We're not going to become resilient unless we're challenged and, we, and, and, and it hurts. Well, and, yeah. And, uh, and you know, th this expansion of consciousness is ultimately the solution. I mean, it's, okay. I, it's at least it's the solution to the suffering of the stage that you're in. We, we always come up with this. It's like Ken. Somebody asked Ken a series of questions once about this. He goes, well, what's the answer? Wake up. What's the answer? Wake up. And now, cleaning up, sure. But that's another form of waking up. Showing yeah. up, sure. But that's another form of waking up. You know? Yeah. It's all waking up. It's all, it's all waking up. It's all waking up. It's all waking up. Yeah. <laughs> that's why the title of my first book on integral psychotherapy was Waking Up. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I like that. And, and you know, nobody's immune to that. Everybody no. is born with some impulse to grow. I mean... Hardwired. And to be spiritually connected and to love and to yeah. receive love and to be part of a group and to conform to that group and have the group approve of you and have you identify with that group. We all want that. We all yeah. crave it. And that's beautiful that we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, very well said, Keith. And well, on that note, let's stuff. declare victory once again on our shrinking. We will de <laughs> declare victory. We've got that, finally solved that problem. Solve that problem. We've human got suffering. that sorted out. We, we, today, Jeff and Keith resolved human suffering. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, thank you for um, you. Uh, being part of this for all these years, Keith. And yeah. if people are interested in your work, they can go to drkeithwit.com, right? Sure can. You can go to Amazon, buy any of my books. Uh, I recommend all of them highly. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, my the Trauma and Transcendence should come out um, next year sometime. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm still trying to integrate this material. I don't want it to be another one of those books where I promise, where you promise a lot and you do this system and everything's going to be fine. I want it to be something that has way more depth and reality to it than that. And so that's kind of challenging, but also that's a good challenge. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. go on my website. There's there's a lot of talks and lectures and blogs and stuff. So yeah. Cool. And yeah. Daily Evolver, if you want to know yeah. more about the Jeff. and the Pundits. There's so, so many, the 30 plus of them now. That's right. All we right. Well, cool. thank you everybody for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time. I'm sure we'll have more to, to talk about as the world turns. World turns. Much love to everybody. All right. Let me undo the uh, record.